questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to a new edition of Sanitas, which is being broadcast in two platforms, Sanitas and Veritas. You can listen to Sanitas on all the great shows we've ever done there at sanitasradio.com and also on Veritas at veritasradio.com. Believe me when I tell you that this is an interview you do not want to miss. To listen to the entire interview, subscribe at veritasradio.com or if you've never subscribed to Sanitas Radio, go to sanitasradio.com and enjoy three seasons and all future Sanitas interviews that we are planning to broadcast. At the end of the interview, I'll explain to you why we are keeping the name Sanitas as opposed to merely merging both programs. You will know why. Now, for any comments or questions, you want to be a guest on either radio program, you know how to get in touch with me. Just go to either website and click on the contact button. And tonight we go behind the scenes of the documentary Vaxxed, from cover-up to catastrophe. Vaxxed is about an investigation into how the CDC, the government agency charged with protecting the health of American citizens, destroyed data on a 2004 study that showed a link between the MMR, measles, mumps, rubella vaccine, and autism. This alarming deception has contributed to the skyrocketing increase of autism, potentially the most catastrophic epidemic of our lifetime. Tonight's special guest is Dale Bigtree, a medical journalist and the producer of Vaxxed. He will take us behind the scenes of this very important documentary. Dale Bigtree was an Emmy Award-winning producer on the daytime talk show The Doctors for six years. Bigtree is proud to be working side-by-side with Andrew Wakefield, one of the most important minds of our time. And they have created a documentary that will not only alert Americans to the outright destruction of their civil liberties, but will lead the charge to demand the formation of a genuine independent research body conducting legitimate science to ensure that all vaccines are truly safe. You can listen to Del Bigtree on his radio program titled High Wire. And he joins us directly from Los Angeles, California. Hello, Del, and welcome to Sanitas. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. And are you in Los Angeles? Did I say that right? I am. I live in Los Angeles. Wonderful. Well, Dell, you used to produce a medical talk show. When did you come to the conclusion that it was actually funded by the pharmaceutical industry? And not only your show, but every program on TV. Well, that that really was the, the it's the second part of that that was shocking. I mean, when you work on a medical talk show, obviously a lot of our sponsors were pharmaceutical industry, and I knew that. And there were certain things that you know you would come up against, as any show does. I mean, you have to answer to your advertisers. Uh, but I had a great time on the show for six years. I worked on it. I was you know there's seven producers on the show, so you sort of produce one. Um, episode a week uh, per team, and uh, and I was known to be one of the more controversial producers. Anyway, uh, I would do stories about you know when industry I thought wasn't looking out for the health of people. I, I like to dig into those stories. So I, I when the World Health Organization ruled that glyphosate, which is the chemical in Roundup, which is made by Monsanto and sprayed over eighty percent of our crops, when 
Uh, World Health Organization said that that glyphosate was probably carcinogenic to humans, and they had that official ruling. I did that story on our show, and I got uh, Monsanto to send uh, one of their representatives to defend their product, and I brought in a GMO activist to you know debate that on the show. So I've always sort of leaned towards. You know, I always say wherever there's billions of dollars to be made, I and and the company is telling me it's for the good of the people. I tend to question that and want to dig deeper. And so I think that's what sort of brought this story onto my lap. Um, I was producing the show, and one of my contacts, a doctor that I'd worked with on several other stories, reached out and said, "Dell, there's going to be a huge event in two weeks. We have a whistleblower that's coming forward at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and he's going to tell the world that um, they're committing scientific fraud on their vaccine safety studies, and specifically uh, on the MMR, that's the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine autism study, when they were looking at does the MMR, could it be linked to autism, um, and that ended up being the <clears throat> that's the basis of our film Vaxed. It's really about his confessions, which we have about uh, four hours of a recorded several different phone calls where he laid out exactly how the fraud took place. And not only did he make the claim, but he's provided 10,000 documents to back it up, including internal emails uh, with the head of the CDC where he's saying, you know, I'm not going to lie about this. But back to your point, you know, when I found out that we, you know, we had a whistleblower at the most important health agency, arguably in the world. Um, you know, I ran into some pushback to do it on our show, but it made, you know, I understood that those that, you know, we, we didn't want to upset our, you know, advertisers. And even more importantly, we didn't want to upset the CDC because they had been very good to the show. Every time there's an outbreak or something going on, uh, they let us come behind the scenes and, and sort of, you know, get involved and, and see the work that they were doing. And, and no one wanted to ruin that relationship. But what was so shocking to me, I mean, I, I assumed that, well, I can't do the story just because we're a little tangled up with the, the people that would be involved in it. But certainly CNN and Fox and MSNBC and every news agency in the world is going to cover this because this is the biggest medical story in my lifetime. I mean, this is, you know, we've all said, you know, as a medical journalist, we've said it over and over again, vaccines are safe and effective. They've been proven to be safe. The studies show they're safe. Anybody that says they're not safe just isn't looking at the science. And then to find out one of the top scientists involved in those studies is coming forward and saying they're committing fraud. It doesn't get bigger than that. And instead of it blowing up the news agencies like I thought it would, it was absolute radio silence. No one covered it. No headlines in any of the major papers. And that's when I realized the pharmaceutical industry has its, you know, talons deep into all of our media outlets that are supposed to be bringing us the truth. And that has been uh, a continually uh, alarming story for me. Um, and I think it, and it really points to, I think, what is the biggest problem in the U.S., really, I mean, we can talk about corruption of government or all the issues people have, our lack of trust in the way our systems are working. But how do you fix anything if the news agencies that are supposed to be reporting the truth and digging deep into these stories, if they've been, you know, taken over and they're owned by special interests, then the people are never going to get the truth. And I think that that's that's ended up being even more shocking in many ways. I mean, the, our story is about children and the health of children being compromised by a government cover-up. But the health of our democracy is what is proving to really be 
uh, on its deathbed because of media and the lack of ability to tell true stories. Before I ask you about what happened with Dr. William Thompson, we'll discuss more of him later. What happened with you after you became very vocal about this? And obviously, as you said, the advertisers, they're the ones, either they own directly by being you know, stock owners of these six media outlets, which you know control the entire uh, media, or they do it by pouring in billions of dollars in, in uh, advertising. What happened with you after you became very vocal? Well, I mean, you know, I left the show in order to make the film for, for a couple of reasons. I mean, number one, I couldn't do both at the same time. And I'm a person that believes if if I can't give it my all, then you should be hiring somebody that can. But right. the truth is, I really I knew that this would be controversial for the show. And they, you know, I really did enjoy my time there. And I didn't want to see them come under fire because I was working on something that was going to go against you know, the, the doctors is a medical show. It stands by the fact that vaccines are safe. And so I, I sort of parted ways almost a year before the film were released. So, cause, but I was working on it for that time. Now, does it affect my future in television? Probably. I mean, at the, at the moment, I, I don't know. I mean, I've had a lot of success with the film and I've been traveling. Uh, the country with it. And so that's been my focus. Um, are there people that, you know, do I get reviews? Do I have, you know, articles written about me that are not so kind? Absolutely. Is the medical establishment saying that what our film purports and the things I'm involved in are not true? Of course. I mean, that's any, that's what you would expect. Uh, when you've caught people red handed, um, it's sort of, it's very much like the tobacco industry when we had Jeffrey Wigand, the whistleblower, step forward and say, Hey, we know that tobacco is causing cancer and we're hiding it from you. And that changed everything. It changed our science. All the doctors that were saying, you know, tobacco is safe, they suddenly, you know, were, you know, look, you know, they had to come to terms with the fact that they've been lying to the people. Well, we're experiencing that in a much, much bigger problem. I mean, cigarettes, I don't think anyone ever believed they were there for our health. I mean, we were being lied to that they weren't dangerous for us. But you're talking about a product with vaccines that are supposed to be making us healthier. And the more in the uh, that I look at this, the more I've, I'm reading all the safety studies. I'm looking into all these claims they've made that we've studied this and we've proven they're safe and they the science just doesn't hold up. It's not there. There's very few studies, actually not many as they purport, and the ones you find, you can immediately see the problems and the, the, the fraud taking place inside of them. So this is a really big, big problem, and it's a hard one to fight. Nobody really wants to, you know, we don't want to have to accept the fact that you know, our doctors that we go to and we trust and we hand our children over and our babies over and ourselves, we put them in their care and we expect that they have all of the true science and know what's going on and to find out that, you know, really it's just about they've been lied to as much as everybody else. I don't want to say that doctors are part of some giant cover-up, but they aren't doing their research. And because of that, this cover-up has gotten completely out of hand, and we have children that are, you know, in the United States of America, this is the sickest generation of children we have ever seen. Uh, that is that is a medical, you know, you know, fact. Really, it's where we believe that we're now saying, as a as as the medical consensus, that this is the first generation of children in America that will not live to be as old as their parents. Um, 
that's horrific and something's causing it. It cannot be genetics. You don't have epidemics that come because genes changed in the last 10 years. It just doesn't work that way. Environmentally, our children are under attack, and I believe that the, the, the most obvious culprit is the environmental toxins we're injecting right into our children's bloodstreams. And it's not only, in my opinion, vaccines, but when you see the preponderance of allergies that you see in children these days, Back when you and I were growing up, we didn't see that many people being allergic to peanuts and this and that. It's environmental. And I think, you know, vaccines play a part. But Robert De Niro, we know he has a son with autism. Yeah. Where does he really stand when it comes to vaccines and autism? And I know he more or less changes his posture. Where does he really stand? You know, I I hate to ever speak for people. I mean, Robert De Niro at some point is going to have to really come clear with the public. I can tell you because I've worked with him, you know, for those that don't know, we our film got accepted by Tribeca Film Festival, and then we got kicked right. out of Tribeca Film Festival upon the announcement that we were in the festival because there was so much pressure from the medical doctors and the pharmaceutical industry, and I don't know what happened behind the scenes, but I think it's a tragic day for film and, and Tribeca and free speech when, you know, they kick films out because they're getting pressure from sponsors. Now, he's one of the, you know, he and um, his partner started Tribeca, Jane Rosenthal. And, um, you know, he stood up for the film originally under all the pressure. We were in conversations with him. And, uh, you know, one of the things he said, you know, once we were announced and every newspaper article was demonizing Tribeca for having our film in it and bullying them into trying to get us kicked out. And he called us and said, you know, we're coming under a lot of heat. You know, how much proof do you have of this whistleblower? I mean, obviously, this is a 90-minute movie. You can't fit everything. And so we responded and said, you know, um, Mr. De Niro, the, why take our word for it? Why don't you speak to Congressman Bill Posey? How about, you know, if we could set up a meeting with the congressman who sat down and interviewed William Thompson you know, after our movie was already in process and got the 10,000 documents that his scientific team are looking over. And, and then Congressman Posey stood before our Congress in uh, July of 2015, uh, imploring them to subpoena Dr. William Thompson so we could get to the bottom of this, this government corruption. And, and we said, why don't, if we could set up a meeting with him, you know, why don't you do that? And so we did. He said that that'd be great. And so he met with, uh, Congressman Bill Posey to get the real facts of the story outside of the filmmakers and what we were saying. And after that, that's when he stood for up and said, you know what? We're standing by this film. I have a child with autism. That was the first time I think many people had heard that. And he said, this is a dialogue I want to have. And then 36 hours later, they still pulled us out of the festival, which I, I, I don't even know how that happened. And to watch Robert De Niro have to sort of publicly take back very personal statements, it just shows you how if Robert De Niro is not safe to pressure and can't stand up in it, who really can? Um, but where is he at now? I mean, luckily, days later, he was on the Today Show and, and really in, – in, you could tell was very angry and frustrated. It was clear that it wasn't his decision to pull it from Tribeca, and he was making statements like, I think that everybody needs to see this film. It's important for people to see. And so he's he's sort of held on to that support 
uh, position. And we, uh, Bobby Kennedy and I and Robert De Niro all stood on a stage together just a couple of months ago for what Bobby Kennedy called the um, Bobby Kennedy Challenge, which was he challenged everyone in the country Provide me with one study that shows that mercury is safe to inject into uh, pregnant women. Uh, mercury being, you know, one of the most toxic substances on earth. It's in this preservative that's in our flu shots called thimerosal, and we're now giving flu shots to pregnant women. And he said, I'll give $100,000 to anyone that can show me that's safe. And, of course, no one's ever taken us up on it. But De Niro was on the stage with us. Uh, he did many radio and TV interviews, and, you know, he's very careful with how he talks about it. I mean, I think he says, look, at my child has autism. I was traveling a lot, but my wife says she watched this regression right after his vaccines. And he said, look, at we need to get to the bottom of autism. And the little bit of science that he's had time to look at is alarming to him as it was to me. You know, and I think that he just wants the truth, as we should all want the truth. We can't just take you know, bumper sticker statements as a solution. Just because a lot of people scream loudly, the vaccines are safe and it's been proven safe, doesn't mean that's actually the truth. As Bobby Kennedy says all the time, saying there are scientific studies that prove they're safe and actually providing those, you know, those studies to look at are two different things. They really don't have the studies, and yet they say it over and over again, and I've researched it, and I can tell you they don't have the studies. The, what they're saying is absolutely not true. They've never proven these are safe. In fact, there are many, many studies and a growing body of studies now with scientists all over the world proving that uh, we have a real problem with these vaccines. And one of the big elements that's you – know, you know, I talk about two things. The movie is one thing. That was sort of my entry into this discussion, and it's a powerful, powerful film uh, about a government cover-up and the, and the parents that are watching their children being destroyed by this. But looking deeper, there's many elements beyond just the MMR vaccine that I now see we must be questioning everything. And I think the – Maybe the big smoking gun that people will see in the news, I think, over the next several months as this thing unravels is aluminum. We're just we're putting unbelievable amounts of aluminum into day one old babies, two month old, four month old, six months, just over and over again, just filling their bodies with aluminum. And more and more studies are showing us that that not only can cause autism, it can cause all a host of autoimmune disease and neurological disorders and death. And uh, I don't I think the days are numbered on this vaccine program and the way it's been approached so far. They're in real trouble because they don't have the science on their side. Let's hope that that happens. Are you familiar with the work of Dr. Suzanne Humphreys? I am. Yes, she's a she's a good friend. Oh, good. I'm so glad. And for anybody, please listen to the interview we did a few months ago. You know, she was one of those doctors that would push vaccination onto her patients until they, a lot of them started becoming very ill. And basically she went to the hospital folks and she wanted to go to the neonatal, neonatal unit. And she analyzed the stool samples of a few babies after they were vaccinated because she wanted to see if those elements were being, uh, you know, excreted, if you will. Well, none came out. And she realized as a nephrologist that the baby's kidneys are not developed to be able to to, to, to detoxify, could this be why that 12 to 18-month period is so critical? Because the babies have not sufficiently developed their kidneys to, not that we need thimerosal or any of the other adjuvants that are included in vaccines, but could this be the reason why perhaps 
children who are older do not fall into the autism category? It could be. I mean, look at there's there's some really credible theories out there by several brilliant um, doctors and scientists like Suzanne. But how do we find out for sure if the CDC and the FDA and the the agencies that are supposed to be investigating this when they dig their heels in and they refuse to do any safety studies? And that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with a medical establishment that is preferring to stick its head in the sand and say, we're just not going to look so that if anyone ever asks, we can say, we don't have any studies that show that that's a problem. Um, I mean, literally just, just recently, I think it was like two months ago, I saw an article where there was a vaccine where the glass on the inside of the tube of the vaccines was, was splintering off. And they realized, and the company knew we were injecting vaccines that had glass shards in it. And and they never told the public. And finally, someone at the FDA or something discovered this you know, six months later and said, "Yeah, what are you doing? Why are you injecting them? And here the response was, we don't have any studies that show that it's dangerous to inject glass into human beings. <sighs> I mean, it, incredible. <laughs> I don't know what you say to that. What do you say? You know, it reminds me of the polio vaccine in the 1950s that cost thousands of people from uh, getting cancer. Right. Yeah, I mean, we know it. You know, simian virus forty. Exactly. We grow, we grow these viruses on animal cells and aborted baby cells, aborted baby fetal tissue. We grow the uh, rubella uh, virus on that. That's in the MMR vaccine, and the varicella, the chickenpox vaccine, is grown on aborted fetal tissue. Uh, science knows for a fact that we're in, we cannot separate the DNA out once we've done that. So we're injecting a dead baby's DNA into our own babies. And, you know, I, I say just, you know, from a layman's perspective, which is really what I'm at. I'm a medical journalist. I'm not a doctor. But, you know, I sort of joke, what could possibly go wrong? I mean, and they don't – there's never been safety tests to say, yes, you can do this. And there's are now more studies saying this may be mutating our own DNA. I mean, there's some great scientists, uh, Teresa Dicer being one of them, who's looking into exactly that issue. So you have scientists looking at foreign DNA from monkeys and pigs and cows and aborted fetuses being injected into us. Uh, other people are really concerned with the thimerosal that was taken out of most of our shots, but it's still in the flu shot that's being given to a pregnant woman in the first trimester. And when this infant, this developing fetus is, you know what, the size of a lima bean, you know, and they say, well, mercury is dangerous and toxic, yes, but it depends on the dose. Well, what dose are we talking about in a developing fetus? And then there's other people looking at aluminum, as I pointed out, that I think is really – there's a lot of science on aluminum now that's very disturbing. And then you can move into polysorbate 80. We know it causes cancer, formaldehyde in our vaccines, antifreeze uh, in our vaccines. And again, you know, the one thing I want to tell people, and this is a point that Bobby Kennedy makes, we hear – that we've extensively tested vaccines for safety and, and specifically, you know, autism. We've, we've extensively looked at does it cause autism and that's been debunked. That's what we all hear. Here is the scientific fact. This is the fact of the 16 vaccines that our children get in the program. Only one of them has ever been looked at. Does it cause autism? That's the MMR vaccine. 
And if you watch my movie, you'll see that one of the major studies that came, gave us that conclusion is a total fraud. But they only looked at one of the 16 vaccines in the program, and they say they've extensively looked at this. And they've only looked at one ingredient of the 50 ingredients that are in vaccines other than the virus itself, and that's thimerosal or mercury. So you looked at one of 50 of the ingredients and one of the 16 vaccines, and that gives you the ability to say scientifically, we've extensively looked at this, and we know it's not causing autism. Come on, they can't make that statement. And the most obvious study, they've never studied how these vaccines synergistically work together. The entire program, all 72 vaccines our kids are getting, we've never looked at what happens when you inject these at the same time, which we're doing seven, you know, often seven, ten vaccines all at once. Never been studied for safety. There's not a drug that would get away with this uh, protocol. And one of the things I'm saying is I tell all the scientists that are, Standing up and screaming and yelling that we support the vaccine program and it's anti-science to not support that program. I am telling those scientists, please back away. The vaccine program is a sinking ship because it is an abomination of science. And if you wrap your arms around them as though they're doing science just like you, they're going to take down all of science. And I'd really hate to see that happen. I bet you most people think that when it comes to, to, to studies being made for the safety of vaccines, that they fall within the same regulations of drugs, but they're not. And we'll discuss this later. I think this is a very important part of our uh, the topic to discuss today. But I'm sure you may have read the reports showing that one out of every 10,000 children in the Amish population of the USA has autism. This is today, folks, 2017. The same rate in the rest of America in the 19. 80s. Now, right. the rest of America is one, correct me if I'm wrong, one in 50. Your comments on the Amish population, and then you can elaborate on what changed from then till now. You know, you're, you're, you're exactly where any intelligent person's got to start asking questions. Yes, the Amish, you know, we looked at the Amish and they have a super low rate. They're at one in 10,000 here in America. Depending on where you're getting your stat, it is. It's one in 45, one in 50. The CDC claims it's one in 68, but all in the same ballpark and a horrific number no matter how you look at it. So, you know, how did what are the Amish doing differently? Many, they don't vaccinate. I mean, that's one of the things we know. And we do see measles outbreaks in the Amish community. I mean, that is part of when you don't vaccinate, you tend to get measles and chicken pox and things like that. Uh, but what people don't usually recognize is why did our rate get so high and why was it one in 10,000 back in the 70s and 80s and what happened? Well, you know, what you have to know is there's no liability for the pharmaceutical industry. It's not like any other industry we've ever heard of. In 1986, essentially they were having so many lawsuits from death and, and injury from vaccines that it was putting the pharmaceutical, well, the vaccine program out of business. And they essentially blackmailed Ronald Reagan and said, we're going to stop making all vaccines if you don't protect us from liability. Uh, my understanding is he was reticent to sign it, but did sign the 1986 Vaccine Injury Compensation Act. And what that did was take all liability away from this industry making vaccines. Well, at that moment, our children were getting about 11 vaccines. And now cut to now, since that, that law passed, 
we're getting 72 vaccines. It became a gold rush for the pharmaceutical industry. Well, look, hey, now we have a product that we don't have to test for safety because nobody can sue us. And there's all these other vaccines that we were, you know, had in trials and in tests. So let's just fast track them on the market because, hey, we have no liability. And all of a sudden you see this gigantic explosion in vac- vaccines and you watch what was really just a, you know, a couple hundred million dollar industry is now, I think, somewhere around $52 billion a year. So that explosion, you can see exactly what happened. And right with the explosion of these vaccines, you watch the increase of autism and almost every other major childhood illness you can think of. Asthma on the rise, as you pointed out, deadly food allergies, anaphylaxis, deadly peanut allergies, and... You know, diabetes is exploding and childhood leukemia, multiple sclerosis. Every child's got eczema all over their bodies now. I'm, I'm exaggerating with every, but we're talking like one in 12 kids. You know, one, I mean, here's the facts. One in six kids in America now has a speech delay, which is a neurological impediment. One in two children has an autoimmune disease in America. One in four kids is leaving elementary school on a drug they're going to be on the rest of their lives. And the stat that I always point out is we have more babies die on the first day of life in America than every other industrialized nation combined. How do you explain that? We have the best hospitals in the world. We have the best doctors in the world. Why can't we keep babies alive? And then you look at it. We're the only ones really giving a vaccine on the first day of life, the hepatitis B vaccine, a sexually transmitted disease like AIDS that these babies won't come in contact with till they're either sharing needles, unfortunately, or, you know, having sex. So why day one do we have to give this vaccine? It doesn't make any sense. And you look at our death rate and it certainly and they'll say, well, correlation is not causation. You're right. So why don't we try not giving it on day one? Why don't we move it to like 10 or 12 years old when they might actually start having sex or getting involved in heroin and see what happens to those day one old babies? They refuse to do it, I think, because they know we will all watch those rates drop immediately if they did. You know, once you study all of this, you may come to the conclusion that all of this is profit-driven. And with the advances of technology and biochemistry, I wonder, and this may be conspiratorial, and I know you, you like to deal with facts, Dell. but what if, if now you're saying 72 vaccines, what if in one of those vaccines there's something, something that may come to, to come alive 10, 20, 30 years down the road, gives you cancer, gives you something else, and there's no recourse. You can't point the finger and say, oh, that was that vaccine that I got 24 years ago. But in reality, it's there for the profit-driven industry or the pharmaceuticals. Yeah, and you know the truth is, it could be totally accidental. I mean, there is there are a lot of things like that that we're starting to see that these vaccines may actually be causing cancer, you know, much further down the road, maybe causing Parkinson's or 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 um um 
Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's. What I was yeah, looking for, you know, Alzheimer's, things like that. I mean, you know, and how would we know? How do you know? And whether or not it's on purpose, I mean, certainly they sell a lot of drugs once you get these diseases. So there's a lot of people that try to say they're doing it on purpose. You know, I don't think you have to go that far because it doesn't really matter. What we know is, you know, how would we know if we're not doing long-term safety studies? If the CDC refuses to reflect one of the major things we're asking for, I mean, we have really simple requests. We want to see, we have a major database called the VSD that the CDC controls, has over 10 million people with all of their identity stripped out of it. We want a vax versus unvax study. We'd like to see what are the health outcomes of unvaccinated children versus those that are vaccinated. It's a perfectly, I mean, literally every drug we take goes through that exact study, yet not happening for vaccines. And when you ask the CDC and the Health and Human Services to do that, in fact, they were paid to do that. This is the truth. The CDC was paid by the American taxpayers to do a vax versus unvax study on this, what's called the VSD, the Vaccine Safety Data Link, 10 million people in it. Instead of doing the study, they actually took that database and put it into a private company, essentially offshoring it so that we can't even request it through Freedom of Information Act. That means as a government agency, I as a journalist should be able to request their files because they work for us. But by putting it into a private organization, we can't get to it. So not only did they not do the study, they hid it from the public. That should send red flags off in every single human being alive. Why are they hiding it? Because they don't want you to know what would be discovered there. That, let's call it vaccine court which now exempts pharmaceutical companies from becoming liable. So they don't have to pay for the damages or the injuries. Now they come to a government agency. I presume that that government agency has to pay. Now, where's the coming from, That the money coming from? Is it coming from taxpayers? Yes, we pay a tax on our vaccines. Every vaccine gets charged like 75 cents that's put into a bank account. And then you, when, you know, when, if you're a person, I mean, you have to think about how incredible this is. If you manage to figure out that the vaccine is what caused your child's injury, their encephalopathy, their brain swelled and they were handicapped ever since after they got the vaccine, or your child now has a hundred seizures a day that started right after the vaccine, or you name it, death, all of that, you have to go into a court system. Uh, called, it's basically a vaccine court. Here's how this is set up. It has no judge, it has no jury, and no press is allowed. You're not allowed to use any precedents, meaning you can't refer to any other case that's ever won there as having set precedents for why you find yourself there. You can't say, look at, you know, child number one already was paid in this court for exactly what happened to my child. They don't allow that, and there's no discovery. You can't request any of the vaccine safety data information that happened by the pharmaceutical industry. So it's this totally protected, messed up kangaroo court. Kangaroo, I was going to say, this to, is a kangaroo court. It's a kangaroo court. And you have to go in and convince them that your child was injured by the vaccine. And if you win, then they pay you uh, out of taxpayer money. But what one of the things that I've just really wrapped my head around is – do you know who you sue? I mean, I, people that know about vaccine court, I say, who do you, who do you think you sue when your child's been 
killed or injured by a vaccine. And people say, well, the U.S. government took over. I say, no, it's more specific than that. The defendant in these cases is Health and Human Services, HHS. HHS is the mothership. They oversee the CDC, the FDA, um, HRSA, which runs this vaccine court program. Um, and National Institute of Health. So HHS is our is the head of all of our health. So when your child is injured, you literally have to sue the largest health department in the world. And their army and, of uh, lawyers. And an army of lawyers that are pr- provided by the Department of Justice. So you have the Department of Justice lawyers fighting you. And what do you, and how do you prove your child was injured? You have to use the safety studies that who did them and performed them? Health and Human Services. You literally have to use their science to try and win your case. So this is like a murder investigation where the murderer is the one doing all the forensics. How are you supposed to get to the truth? How are you supposed to defend this? And then you look at the incentive. The incentive for health and human services is to not have any safety studies done, to not be doing any research into the dangers of vaccines, to keep the CDC from doing that because every time they do a study that proves that an injury is taking place, that can be used against them in the court. It can be used against them. And so they just say, you know what, let's not do any safety research. There, then we can win in court. It's how they defend themselves. It's so, it's so conflicted. Uh, it's just, I don't even know how we got to this point that something so ridiculous could be set up this way. So you would be fighting the HHS, HHS yes. and the army of lawyers and an unlimited amount of money that you would have to compete against. It's just John Doe fighting against them. I know some people have won and they have received a, a few billion dollars, which is pennies. But no. how exactly do you do it? If somebody wins, wouldn't that be set a precedent? Even though it's, it's not a regular court, but once somebody wins, the next case, case comes along, which might be the same situation. Can you say, hey, Dell had this case, he won, I have the same case, they don't go with precedent? No. Every single case is locked away for no one to see. That's why the press can't be there. Most of the time you're paid for your silence so that you're not even you're sort of usually told by the court you're not allowed to talk about this settlement at all. And to date, since 1986, this court has paid out over uh, $3.4 billion. And that, you know, that's a large amount of money, but that's with a cap of $250,000 for death and injury. So there's already a cap on it. And many of these people go and fight these court cases for up to 10 years. I know a woman that's been in court for 10 years up against the Department of Justice. Who can afford to do that? And the lawyers that are defending you, they don't get paid until this whole thing is worked out. So most lawyers won't even help you. They won't go near it because they say, hey, you know what? That just doesn't pay the lawyer. That Nobody gets paid out of vaccine court, and the cases go on too long. So it's hard to even get someone to defend you. Well, the way I see this, these people are looking at those who are going to die or be damaged by these vaccines as, uh, well, you know, it's like war. Innocent bystanders will have to die, but the, the, the well-being of the many is what's important here. And what motivation do they have to to clean themselves, if you will, uh, trying to, 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 to make sure that the vaccines are safe when they don't have to have the liability. 
That's it. What you know? So, what motivations does any industry have to make a better product? I mean, the point I try to make is everything we see in the world is evolving. Every product. My phone is probably more powerful than the computers NASA used to put the first you know spaceship on on the moon. Um, everything evolves. Because of many reasons, cars get safer and safer, cars get better, they have better fuel economy because they have to. They have to because of regulations. They have to have better braking systems because they get sued when the brakes fail. Can you imagine a car company that you couldn't sue them when the brakes fail? You'd never see these giant recalls you see. You wouldn't right. see Toyota, you know, re, you know, calling back, you know, hundreds of thousands of vehicles because they wouldn't have to. The incentive to make a better product really comes from just a couple of obvious places. Number one, liability. Nobody wants to get sued, so they make a better product that they can't be sued because anyone gets hurt from it. Next, you know, so we've taken that away. So that's your your strongest incentive to make for an industry to make a better product would be lawsuits. We've taken that out of the mix. So next, what are you left with? Well, you still have consumer choice. You know, to, you know let, let's imagine cars where brakes fail. Well, Toyota's has more brakes that fail. I'm not disparaging them, but they're just the most recent story. Uh, so I'm going to buy a Ford because I've never heard of their brakes failing. So you have, you know, choice that would force Toyota then to say, hey, we got to compete with Ford. Let's make a better product because of that. Except with vaccines, you're taking that out of the mix because most of these vaccines are monopolized. Like MMR is only made by Merck. Uh, for patent issues and, you know, across the board, these, these childhood vaccines have a monopoly and also they're being forced on us by regulations and laws that are being passed all over the country. In California, we took away the option to exempt out of any vaccines. Your child has to get all 72 vaccines to be in school or you're not allowed to be in school. And so, so now you've taken consumerism out. You actually have a product that the government is forcing you to use. And so you've, you have no liability. You have a product that they're forced to use. And then lastly, they don't even have to advertise for these products because they're being forced. I mean, this is the greatest. I mean, you got to hand it to the pharmaceutical industry. This is the greatest product you could ever dream of. I mean, businessmen lie awake at night thinking, how could I have anything that resembles that? A product I don't have to test for safety because I can't be sued. I don't ever have to pay lawyers or legal costs because I never get sued. I don't have to pay for advertising because all I have to do is buy a lobbyist and get a lobbyist to put someone in office and say, hey, pass a law for my vaccine and add it to the, the, the schedule. And now I have indentured you know, um, clients that have to buy that product. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. And so the entire safety protocol is, is outside of the industry itself. They don't have to do anything. It's left on HHS and CDC to protect us from this industry that is making products that inject into babies without safety testing. And then you're hoping the CDC is doing that job until you find out when you research, you know, what you'll see in Vaxxed is they're not doing the job and partly because Julie Gerberding, who's the head of the CDC while these studies are going on, you know, they exonerate Merck and the MMR vaccine and say our studies show it's perfectly safe. Our film proves it's a fraud. But Julie Gerberding leaves, you know, one year after leaving the CDC as the head of the CDC, becomes the head of Merck's vaccine department for a multi-million dollar a year salary plus stock options. So 
she is incentivized to push this vaccine through, say it's safe, and then she's going to get a multi-million dollar job for doing it. I mean, it's just we people just don't know how vulnerable we are to one of the most corrupted systems I think the world will ever recognize. And I do believe we're going to win this. I think that their days are numbered. I really mean that. They've 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 gone too far and they've injured too many children and they lack so much science and the government corruption is so vivid now. I don't see how it can stand. That that ancestral relationship between the government and health agencies and, and, and big pharma, that has to end. This is the fox guard in the hen house. Yes, it is. It absolutely is. It's um And, you know, it's it's an interesting topic because most people know that. Most people don't trust drug companies now. We see the Oxycontin push that – and we're spending millions and billions of dollars trying to stop the addiction from Oxycontin. Yet we see this industry just now saying, oh, it's safe to give to kids. You know, most people are starting to wake up that the pharmaceutical industry is is not out for our good, just for their own. But there's something with vaccines. There's something the way we've been brainwashed in, you know, with our education system to believe that vaccines are the greatest invention of health that ever was. That's keeping us from really looking where we need to look and say, you know what, this too is fraudulent and dangerous. Here's a comparison. I'm not sure if this is the right one, but you know, I'm just thinking of the National Transportation Safety Board for a moment, the NTSB. Let's just imagine this scenario. Say prior to a certain year, there were hardly any airplane crashes. But then all of a sudden, boom, that number skyrockets. And the NTSB can never find the reason for the crashes. You would think, Dale, that the responsibility to investigate these crashes would be transferred to another agency. Why isn't this happening at the CDC? Right. I mean, that's one of the simple questions I ask is we're accepting the greatest scientific body supposedly in the nation, the CDC, when they say we don't know what's causing autism. We're still looking. We know for sure it's not uh, vaccines, but we don't know what's causing it. I mean, how can you even make that statement? If you don't, obviously you don't know what it is. You don't know how it works, but you know what's not doing it. I don't even know how that math works. But you talk about the NTSB. That's a really good example of what we are fighting to have happen on this issue. We want a vaccine um, safety you know, administration that's totally separate from CDC, separate from pharmaceutical industry. Nobody uh, can can be involved that it doesn't, you know, isn't just totally separated with a firewall from the industry. I mean, vaccines should be just like an airplane. We don't let the manufacturers of Boeing work for the NTSB and go and investigate their own crash. You know, you wouldn't do that because obviously they're going to cover and hide things up because it's going to hurt their product. But that's exactly what we see in vaccine safety. We see corruptions of, of, you know, conflicts of interest. Many of the pharmaceutical bodies that make the money and the presidents of these companies and vaccine developers themselves and scientists who have patents are actually voting to put vaccines on our schedule. 
when they're going to reap the benefits of millions and millions of dollars. Like Paul Offit is one of these guys who goes around the country telling everybody he's, you know, the patron saint of vaccines, but nobody knows that he sold his rotavirus vaccine for $175 million after doing what? After having rotavirus vaccines added to the childhood uh, schedule on the CDC. So wait a second. It used to be what? How many vaccines in the past, and now we have seventy-two. Does that we mean have that? Se- well, we have we have sixteen vaccines given uh, in seventy-two doses. Like so, for instance, you know, you get two or three polio shots, you get three or four uh, measles, mumps, rubella shots. Now a couple of rotavirus. So when you multiply them all up, we're getting seventy-two vaccines by the time we're eighteen, and it's going to grow. What people don't know is there's. I think roughly 270 vaccines that are all in development right now. There's 2,500 vaccine trials taking place. Uh, this has only begun. The future of the pharmaceutical industry is in vaccines. And imagine these products, three, you know, and, and I try to point out too, this isn't just about mandating for kids. They try to make us think that all these laws are really to go after this 3% of unvaccinated children. But if you look at HHS's website, they have something called Healthy People 2020. And the goal of that is to have 100% uptake of vaccines by all adults by 2020. That means you have to have forced vaccination programs for everybody in America. And that is what this is all about. Right now, they're making $50 billion a year. If they can get 320 million Americans have to use their product by mandate from the the government, you're going to watch a billion-dollar industry turn into a trillion-dollar industry overnight. And that is why I believe they're now the number one lobby in Washington, outspending oil and gas two to one. For every $2 Exxon and Mobile are spending, you know, Merck and Sanofi, Aventus and Pfizer are outspending them $2 to one. Somebody in the defense industry told me that uh, oil is no longer the number one revenue. It's it's big pharma. I'm not sure if that's true, but I, I that's what I was told. But yeah. take the flu shot, for example. You know, at any given time, how many strains of the influenza virus is out there? I mean, how many of them? And then the vac- the, the flu shot has what, one? How effective right. is the flu shot then? Well, based on their own research, they've said that for the last five years, it's actually been almost completely and totally ineffective. They've picked the wrong virus every time, yet they're pushing this vaccine on everybody and their grandmother, literally. And we see grandparents dying right after this vaccine left and right. Uh, kids dying, you know, as I've traveled the country, I, I had no idea how many people died from the flu shot. It's really alarming. And to find out that they admit, yeah, we've gotten it wrong the last, you know, five years or so. We, we keep picking the wrong viral strain. Um, and these are the things that nobody, they, you know, CNN doesn't report on this. MSNBC doesn't. I mean, you have to actually read. You got to actually go and open up some reports and some studies to get to the bottom of this. And who really has the time for that? And that's what they're counting on. So they'll just tell you you need it. You'll go and get it, even though it's totally useless. And what do most people tell you? When you talk to people that get flu shots, they say, yeah, I was sick for four days after the vaccine. Yeah. Or I got the flu from the vaccine. I can't tell you how many people have told me that. Then why do you still get it what are you saving yourself because i haven't had the flu for years most people haven't that don't get the vaccine 
And look, I have many medical doctors that are friends, and I just don't talk about this subject anymore because they are so programmed to repeat the same thing. Oh, Mel, pseudoscience kills, blah, blah, blah. And you can provide so many details and they just don't want to listen to you. But the question is, you've heard the statement, how is my unvaccinated child a threat to your vaccinated child? But these vaccinated children, let's say you have one in a classroom where you have the majority unvaccinated. Can that vaccinated child shed the virus that was put into that child, into the other children? I mean, look, if they they claim that that does not happen. We have monkey studies and other studies that prove that it does happen, that they shed, that if you give a group of monkeys, you know, the MMR vaccine and you put them in a room with monkeys that were not vaccinated, we will eventually be able to test test the unvaccinated monkeys and find out that they've gotten measles titers, that they have antibodies to measles and specifically the strain that the vaccinated monkeys got. How does that happen? Because it shed across to the unvaccinated kids. But I, I mean, I can even be more specific. If you go to MD Anderson uh, or any of the major, you know, leukemia uh, wings of hospitals, it'll say right on the door before entering that wing where you have severely immunosuppressed people, it'll say right there on the door, if you've been recently vaccinated, please do not enter this area due to the fact that you could shed that that virus. I mean, Isn't we know proof? it happens. Huh? Isn't that proof that, then? If that's not proof, I don't know what is. In fact, if you watch the commercials for um, uh, these plaque psoriasis commercials, keep your eyes peeled because when they list off all those side effects, at the end it will say, please let your doctor know if anyone around you has been re recently vaccinated or if you plan on being vaccinated uh, because of the risk of infection. I mean – they say, I mean, it's in commercials now. Like you can't, if you're having a lowered immune system, you better not be around someone that's just been vaccinated because you could get that, that virus. So there's, there's a million ways to prove it just because they say it isn't so, you know, well, they say a lot of things aren't so, but they're not backing up with any actual science. And that's a problem. What's your take on the fact that only the United States and New Zealand are allowed to, to have uh drug commercials and the rest of the world does not i mean look at if we could change that i think you would really could fix this problem almost overnight if they can't advertise this stuff and they can't own our news anchors and force them to say whatever they say i mean when you brought it up you know the pharmaceutical industry is is represents about 75% of the advertising on television. So if Rachel Maddow wants to do a story that vaccines are injuring children, she can't do it. If, you know, the, you know, other, you name it, Anderson Cooper or anybody, they can't touch this subject because they will be fired. Period. It's that simple. I've worked for these people. They'll, you know, you'll get a slap on the wrist the first time you venture out, second time you're fired. And that's how it goes. And we see reporters being fired. There's a there was a Boston reporter that was fired from her job simply because on Facebook, on her own private Facebook page, she mentioned that she thinks vaccines are dangerous and never even brought it up on the news channel. And she was fired. Um, that's the type of bullying going on. We have we have the the pediatric association telling pediatricians, if you cannot get your patients to comply, fire them and kick them out of your 
uh, out of your clinic and out of your hospital. We won't treat you here. So let me get this straight. As doctors, you'll treat someone that smokes 10 packs of cigarettes a day. You'll treat an alcoholic, a drug addict, a meth addict. You'll bring them into the hospital and you'll take care of them. But some kid that's parents only feed him organic or her organic food, fresh water, you know, healthy lifestyle, sports and exercise, you won't see them. Tell me that you're upholding the Hippocratic Oath when you kick those kids out of your practice. It should be a crime. When I think of them thinking that first do no harm, I sometimes laugh. But this is so important that the no direct to consumer pharmaceutical advertising and only the U.S. and New Zealand, that will never change, especially because these these companies, these networks will go out of business without the advertising revenue. Well, think about the perfect storm. I mean, first of all, we should never have allowed that mistake to happen. It's a huge mistake, and you're right. It really does affect the dialogue. But they've made now billions and billions of dollars. They've created a multi-billion dollar industry for themselves. So let's say you wanted to pass a law that they you know, were no longer allowed to advertise pharmaceutical products on television like the rest of the world. How would you do that? You got to go to your politicians. Well, go look at your politicians and how much money did they get from Pfizer last year <laughs> exactly. for their campaign? You know what I mean? We've made them rich enough to control our government. And now we find ourselves in a really, really precarious place. Do the people matter more than the pharmaceutical industry? If you look at most of the voting patterns, you'll find out absolutely not. It's all about who's going to put them in office. And votes don't count. Money does. And politicians have one religion only. It's called re-election. And That's just it. find out who is uh, financing that re-election campaign. Now, who is Dr. William W. Thompson, a CDC scientist, and how is yeah. he relevant to the story and the research? Dr. William Thompson was uh, a senior scientist, is still actually a senior scientist at the CDC. Uh, in terms of the movie Vaxxed, which is about this MMR autism study, uh, he's he is the statistician. He does the 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 numbers breakdown. So you have, you know, five scientists that were on the team doing this study, but they all just contribute. You know, how are we going to look at the data? What are we going to look for? You know, I'm a psychologist. I have this depth into what I think we should be looking at in neurological issues. They all weigh in. But the person actually doing the study is the mathematician that goes back in the room and then plugs in the data and starts making the graphs to show us what's happening. That's who Thompson is. He's considered to be one of the best in the world at it. And uh, and what he tells us uh, on this autism study, they had 3000 kids from Atlanta. He was at, you know, he's they said, well, let's look at African-American children since there's a large African-American population in this group from Atlanta. And he ran the 3000 kids to see, you know, what was the prevalence of autism amongst the, the you know, the the. The vaccinated, and, and you have to make. Be, I want to be clear that all three thousand kids in the study were vaccinated. There was nobody unvaccinated in it. But what the study was called a timing study, and so when he put it on a graph, what he discovered was that all African American children were two point six four times more likely, so two hundred sixty four percent more likely to develop autism if they got the vaccine on the CDC schedule between twelve and eighteen months, v- compared to those. 
those that waited till after three years old. So the kids that waited till after three years old had were less likely to get autism. So it proved exactly what they were looking at. The hypothesis they were looking at was, you know, the, is it the younger a child receives the vaccine, making them more susceptible to autism? That's exactly what he found. Then, you know, as a scientist, he says, well, okay. Let me test what might be an anomaly. I mean, always in science, there's a possibility that you had a blip that somehow came up in the numbers. So you have to sort of cross-reference things you know. And one of the things we know is that autism affects boys more. And so he decided to run the boys, you know, the African-American boys. Well, if you didn't see an uptick, if it didn't, if it wasn't worse for boys, then you realize that the numbers were an anomaly. But when you run the African-American boys, you jump from 2.64 up to 3.56 times more likely, almost 100 percent more likely uh, amongst the boys just compared to the girls. And that's when you realize this is real. This this fits what we're seeing in in uh, our, our society. Uh, and then they ran one more group um, that they called isolated autism. And this was a confusing term because no one had ever heard of isolated autism. They kind of made it up in the study. But essentially what it meant was across the world, Parents were claiming that right after receiving the MMR vaccine, either that night or the next day or a couple days later, their child had high fevers, seizures, lost the ability to walk, lost the ability to talk, and never were the same again. So they regressed into autism. And so the CDC asked themselves, how would we see that in these 3,000 kids? How are we going to see if that's happening? And so they came up with isolated autism. And what that meant was they isolated autism out. They took only kids that had just autism, no other comorbid issues, what they're calling, no blindness, no seizures, no palsy. They were perfectly healthy except for autism. And they took the healthy kids and said, we, we only want all the perfectly healthy kids for the first year of life they graphed that out and what they discovered was that perfectly healthy children that are healthy for the first year of life from every race didn't matter what race you were were up to seven times more likely to develop autism if they took the vaccine between 12 and 18 months versus those that had been delayed till after three years old. And instead of bringing those findings to the public, which is what the CDC is paid to do, we trust them. They took a study that was supposed to take six months. It's just a number study. They had all their numbers ready to go. They said, we're going to publish this study in six months. They were hired to do it. And Thompson tells us instead of six months, we were behind closed doors for four years manipulating the data, changing the age groups, changing the race codes, changing everything to see can we make this effect go away. They even kicked half the kids off the study. They just just literally cut the group in half, which is total scientific fraud. You can't change your study midstream because you saw something you didn't like. And when all of that didn't work, Thompson told us, and he told Congressman Bill Posey, one day they dragged a giant garbage can into the middle of the room and they made us all destroy all of our data and all of our hard drives that had this information on it. And he said, because I saw this day coming, no one was listening to my complaints, not the head of the CDC. He had already locked copies of everything into a safe. And much of that is what makes up Vaxxed uh, when you watch it. Uh, you're not going to see all 10,000 documents, of course, but if you want to see those, you can go to Bill Posey's website, and he has those there. 
You know, we have to take a one and only break, but before we break, I let me just read this, and I'd like to get your reaction when we come back. If we look, Dale, at the autism trend by the year 2032, which is not that far away, folks. No. If the trend continues, one in two children born will end up in the autism spectrum. I think it's one of four for, for girls and one in two for boys. What would this do to schools? It will be so disruptive, folks, to the school system, and there will be so little money to help the non-autistic children. What will our society look like in the future when we have the elderly that we have to take care of? Plus, we'll have half of the children you know, being victims of, of, of this at all. Parents will be so distracted by raising the children. How will we be able to make ends meet and the government won't have the funding to do so? Paint a scenario when we come back of what our society will look like if and when this happens and its implications, our economy and so on. This is a national emergency right now. Imagine in 2032. But we'll get your answer when we return. Dell, how can people watch, buy, or rent Vaxxed? Uh, they can go to Vaxxed.com, and there's a button right there where you can stream it li live for like $4, but you can go to Amazon.com, iTunes.com, and do the same. We're, we're essentially everywhere that you can buy and rent a, a movie. Um, you can have the DVD delivered by Netflix. They refuse to stream it. I don't know why, but um, they probably have some pharmaceutical backing yeah. or something, but... But uh, And you can also buy it in Amazon or any of those places. But the, the easiest way, uh, go to Vax.com because then you at least get to uh, um, see all of the true stories that we've done after the movie of real injuries. We have over, I think, uh, think 6,000 recorded stories or something. It's, it's an incredible site. For, and it has a lot of information in it. Folks, I promise you, you will not hear this in the mainstream media. So if you want to learn more, Please stay with us. This is Mel Famergus, and you are listening to Sanitas. I'm here with Del Big Tree. More of Vaxxed behind the scenes when we return. Don't go anywhere. Thanks for listening to part one of this very important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest, head on over to the member section or subscribe at VeritasRadio.com. You don't want to miss the rest. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store where you can find great products like pure organic sulfur, rebounders, turmeric, and other great supplements. Thank you.